photographs and memories. A travel market life series sponsored by Atomize. My memory maker today is Michael Frankel. Michael started his career in the non-profit sphere before becoming PR manager for Howard Johnson International and then director overseeing communications for the residential real estate brands at Sendent Corporation. Since 2001, he has operated his own PR company and has helped create market leadership positions for many companies in the hospitality tech space. In recent years, he has developed a business consulting practice and advises many leading brands in the industry. He currently serves as a board member at the Pillsbury Institute for Hospitality Entrepreneurship at Cornell University. Photographs and Memories. Michael Frankel, welcome to Photographs and Memories. Michael, it's great to be here with you. So you've shared three photos of uh, places and people with us, moments that are particularly important to you, whether that is personally or professionally. During the course of our conversation, we'll come to each photograph where you will take us on a journey through time, reflecting on the significance of that moment. You've also brought along a souvenir which has a special place in your heart. But before we explore the stories behind the photos and the souvenir, please tell me about how you came to work in the hospitality industry. Well, it was uh, long ago and far away. Uh, I had just graduated university or shortly after I graduated university. <clears throat> I'd done some work in um, the political arena, nonprofit arena in the city of Chicago, where I was educated, uh, and came upon an opportunity to move to Hawaii, of all places. Um, and the opportunity was for a sort of public affairs political consultant who could help a group of individuals um, advocate their causes and alongside build their businesses. And they were looking for a young guy to kind of come out and do the do the grunt work, right? Make the phone calls, lobby the uh, lobby the politicians, write the letters to the editor, organize grassroots people. And the fact that it was in Hawaii was sort of like, well, yeah, I'll do this. Uh, that that makes sense. So they set me up in a beautiful apartment overlooking the ocean in Honolulu with a company car, and I became sort of their guy for two years. Um, in that context, one of the individuals for whom I was working owned the Kahala Hilton Hotel or what was then the Kahala Hilton. And uh, I don't know what it is now. It was a Mandarin and then it was something else. <clears throat> but it's one of the really exclusive hotels on the beach in Honolulu. And as I was meeting with this individual and whining and dining senators and congressmen and newspaper reporters, I got to thinking, gee, hotels are kind of cool. Maybe I should look into what that world is all about. And that back in 1991, 92 was the beginning of my infatuation with the hotel industry, travel, and everything associated with it. Wonderful. So let's take a little step back and tell me about your early recollections of traveling within the United States as a child or even beyond if, if that happened. Yeah, uh, listen, <clears throat> I mean, uh, you know, uh, uh, an interesting reminiscence that pops to my mind immediately. So I, I live in the greater New York City area, which is actually where I grew up as well. And my earliest reminiscences are family trips, uh, which was in the 1970s and meant 
you know, loading us all into a uh, old Dodge Dart vehicle and driving 30 some hours to get from New York City to Miami um, to visit relatives. And, you know, one of the areas in which I'm engaged right now is, as, as are you, is hospitality technology. Um, thinking through the process, um, you know, at that time, my mom picked up the phone, called a number, made a reservation <clears throat> at the Howard Johnson in Miami Beach. And we waited by the mailbox in order to receive our confirmation that the room had been reserved for us. We knew what the rate was and we knew what we were going to pay when we get there. And if if the paper didn't come by the time we were ready to leave, we were in trouble. Right. We didn't we didn't know. Uh, we didn't know exactly what was what what we were paying and where we were going to be. But so, you know, I remember those trips with great fondness, uh, you know, sitting in the car uh, tooling down I-95, uh, you know, with stops in different states and ending up in Miami, you know, bleary eyed and then hopefully checking into a hotel uh, which had reasonable accommodations, which we'd never seen before. One couldn't go to the Internet, and click a room and request a high floor and do all the rest. Uh, there was no such thing as not smoking, was there? Um, so it was kind of hoped and assumed that we had a decent room in a decent place you know, we're paying a decent rate and we were off and running. But, it, you know, with all that, it did feel a little less planned and a little more spontaneous and a little more sort of open and free. Um, one just kind of set off on the road and took what was in front of you. Um, so, yeah. I, 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 love a, I love a good road trip and I, and I wonder if it's because of our you know, I'm similar age to you and, and that heritage and that sort of experience that we had as, as children. So uh, let's take a look at your first photograph. It's of you as a teenage teenager, I presume, sitting cross-legged alongside a Japanese family. Uh, what is the, the significance of this moment? Yeah, so I was just probably north of being a teenager. I was about 20 years old. The year was uh, 1985, I believe. And my father, who was a... Um, uh, a salesman uh, did a lot of business between then the U.S. and Asia, had some contacts in business contacts in Asia and determined that before my senior year of college, uh, it was time for me to see the world. So <clears throat> I had never left the States um, and he decided that it was an important part of my education that I'd be out there, see, see different things, meet new people and arranged with some of his business associates in Japan, Hong Kong, and mainland China, amazingly at that time, that I should just go spend several weeks living with them, touring the areas, um, and absorbing and imbibing what was out there in the world. So again, you know, at that point, um, you know, there was no sort of, well, I've got my cell phone, I'll text you when I arrive, right? It was sort of see you off at the airport, Michael, and see you when you get back. Um, in fact, one great memory is of that trip, the part of the trip in which I was in Tokyo, uh, it was my 21st birthday, <clears throat> and my parents notified me of happy birthday via telegram, right? Um, because it was, it was impossible to get a phone line, you know, that was dependable and accurate that would get me through at that time of day or night. There was no text, so... I woke to my 21st birthday with a uh, 
with a with a happy birthday telegram for mom and dad. So and and it you know in terms of the point in my life, you know, I'm sure many people who are listening to this can remember being 2021. 20, there was just this sense of unboundless energy and opportunity, right? You're sort of figuring out your life. What did it look like? How do you want to spend your time? What do you want to do? Who do you want to spend your time with? And there I was sort of dropped into the middle of uh, Asia, which was nothing like, you know, Asia today, right? And and I can recall in particular the mainland China part of the trip, um, taking a train from Hong Kong to um, Guangzhou. And first of all, being interrogated pretty thoroughly and uh, physically in order to gain entry into the into the country, there was a tour guide waiting for me on the other end. And as I left the train and met the tour guide, literally dozens of Chinese children lined up behind us to follow us uh, from the train to the car because they'd simply never seen a Westerner, right? It was just, it was, uh, it was uh, new to them uh, what this experience was, sort of a Western young man jumping off a train in his IZOD uh, T-shirt uh, proceeding a pace. So it was, um, it was a different time, different place, but um, a wonderful place to begin a, begin a career in travel and hospitality. So, I mean, that's, that's an amazing start to your travel adventures. Almost hard to hard to beat. But what do you do nowadays when you're looking to go to a new place, new destination? What are you looking for, and how do you plan that? Oh boy. Well, um, one tries not to be utilitarian, um, and one has to be utilitarian at times. <clears throat> I've um, I've always gravitated toward the familiar, and maybe that says a lot more about my character than anything else. Um, there, you know, there are cities. London, where you are among them, uh, Berlin, Las Vegas, San Francisco, which are sort of the the um, the go-to cities. Um, I I enjoy comfort and I enjoy dependability. So I'm I'm inclined to go to a hotel which I know, like, enjoy in a in a particular space, know what's around me, and sets me up to uh, to do what I need to do comfortably than I am to try the latest and greatest concept and Airbnb, forgive me, or, or anything else. Um, so familiarity is interesting, right? There's, a, there's sort of an interesting dialectic or dynamism between the new and the familiar. Um, the new remains exciting, interesting where possible, but, but, but the familiar is good. So I, you know, if we probably shouldn't get into product endorsements, but I can very quickly name the five sort of most comfortable hotels in different cities that, uh, that sit the best with me. So uh, let's take a look at your next photograph. Uh, it's of you holding a gigantic stuffed toy, I guess, uh, dressed in formal wear, a black, black tie. Yeah. Well, How about this uh, one? Flash forward, um, <clears throat> flash forward. Uh, let's see, twenty years, I guess. In, no, ten. Sorry, time, time, uh, time condenses when you reach a certain age. Uh, but flash forward to my first position 
formal position in the travel industry, which was as PR manager of the aforementioned Howard Johnson hotel chain. Um, and this was a moment at which suddenly I was bringing my communications advocacy and other skills to bear for a, um, uh, prominent hotel brand. Uh, and this was my first professional trip to Las Vegas, uh, with all the glitz and glam of Las Vegas, uh, you know, stepping out with, you know, life-size stuffed animals and others to sell the Howard Johnson brand. So suddenly here we were on the stage needing to communicate to the world why Howard Johnson with all its storied history was the, uh, was the go-to for, for hotel guests. And is Las Vegas still a destination you like going back to? I know you and I worked extensively there when we were had our time at Duetto, uh, but is it a place that you like to go back to? Yeah, like is a funny word, Michael. I, 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 the energy of Las Vegas <clears throat> can't be beat. And, you know, for hotels in particular, I mean, it really is the epicenter of the hotel industry in the States and in the world. Uh, I mean, there's more energy activity uh, I, I guess with age, um, you know, the, the, the lights uh, and excitement are not as attractive as they used to be. But, yeah, the, the pulse still races when the plane lands, right? Uh, it's, it's just that it slows down more quickly than it used to once you're in the midst of it. Absolutely. The one nice thing about Las Vegas, of course, is that the airport is so close to the town, so you don't have to have all the faff of getting to your hotel. It's literally on your doorstep as you arrive, which is wonderful. So um, tell me, has there been someone or something that has had the biggest influence in your, on your life and or on your career? Well, let's see. Um, I think I mentioned that I uh, was educated at the University of Chicago. My degree was actually in political philosophy and political theory. And I'm not going to go into the depths of that because I'm sure it wouldn't be of, of interest to, uh, to, to folks listening. Um, what strikes me when I think back on it is sort of this, I mentioned the word dialectic before, uh, or, or sort of yin and yang to, um, to, to put it, in different terms. Um, I suppose that there's always been this pull and tug for me between sort of travel, disruption on the one hand and rootedness on the other. I mean, travel for me is, as I said, in speaking about the, you know, the Asia trip as a youth is an opportunity to remove all preconceptions, right? To go out and experience the world fresh, to see different things, to question all assumptions, right? And to open your mind in a, in a very broad way and to experience things that change your perspective, right? And to keep your per perspective constantly changing. At the same time, the photo we're gonna get to next is, is of myself and my family and my kids. Um, and there's something to be said for rootedness and community and stability and living with assumptions that you've made uh, and enjoying them and enjoying the fruits of them. So I, I kind of see a I see a, a sort of yin and yang running through my experience between disruption, openness, and uh, constantly shifting frames on the one hand, 
and returning to what's familiar, stable, and uh, and comfortable on the other. And for me, you know, being in travel in the travel industry is a wonderful um, wonderful embodiment of that, an opportunity to to kind of enjoy both of those worlds. So, uh, you know, back to your question about a key influence, I, I, I suppose it was the political philosophy professor who first introduced me to the com- concept of dialecticism and the ability to sort of hold both of these in, in one space and enjoy both. Wonderful. I'm not even going to attempt to try and pronounce that word. Let, let's get to the, your third photograph, which you, you referenced there. It's a, it's a family portrait, a photo of a photo. Um, tell me why this is so important to you. Well, I think in a couple of respects. One, as I said, uh, because, you know, family life, rootedness, community, stability is so important. Um, I'm thrilled that I have a my eldest, my daughter, is now third year at the Cornell Hospitality School. Nothing to do with dad. I, I, she, she came to it all on her own and, and decided that this was an interesting field to pursue. So, you know, the importance of family and experience, experiencing their growth. Um, I actually reside in the same suburban town in northern New Jersey that I grew up in. Uh, so my kids are actually attending the same middle school, high school that I attended when I was growing up. And something about that familiarity and rootedness is very appealing and important to me. At the same time, that photo in particular was a holiday card we sent out in, oh, whenever it was, mid, mid-2000s or 2010, 2011. But I missed it, right? Because I was traveling. I was traveling for business. So uh, the, the, you know, the, the, the moment that brings back to me is the, the bittersweet memory of being on the road, knowing that the holidays were taking place and everybody was, uh, was enjoying being together. But I had to miss on that occasion. Um, luckily, luckily I was back, uh, the following week and we made it up. Um, so yeah. We nearly at our end, end of the end of our time. Um, but I've got one last question for you. If you weren't in travel and hospitality, what would you be doing? Well, I think it's pretty clear that I'd be teaching. Um, and, and I, and it's something I, I aspire to return to, um, you know, the, um, Travel, uh, travel keeps you moving um, intellectually, physically, emotionally. Um, but I, you know, uh, made a sort of plan for myself back in my twenties that sort of twenties for forties were for building a career, forties to sixties were for seeing it through and hopefully re- reaping rewards, and that the years beyond that would be for playing with grandkids and returning to the life of the mind. So I think that's where I'm headed, Michael. Awesome. Michael, thank you very much for being our memory maker today. Uh, But before we wrap up, please, can you tell us about your souvenir? Souvenir, uh, maybe a little bit off off, uh, expectation for this podcast, um, but it's a book called Lead and Disrupt, which I picked up at uh, my favorite London bookstore when I was on a business trip. I was at a moment of having run my PR and communications business for well over a decade, um, having success in that area, but realizing that I probably brought extra value to my clients in the industry 
by doing things beyond communications, sort of strategic and, um, and corporate planning, fundraising, investment, and other things. But I was looking for sort of a, a way to bring those thoughts together and really decide for myself how I was going to structure my career going forward. So it was the final day of a business trip in London, visited my favorite bookstore and just happened upon this book uh, called Lead and Disrupt, which explained how one could lead in a career, but at the same time disrupt and do new things, uh, push the boundaries and try new, uh, expand in, in new directions. And that book became an answer for me at that moment both in terms of the number of the client things that I was working on, but in terms of my own thinking about my future. And um, it goes back to that yin and yang, right? Being able to lead, be steady, be forward in a particular area, but continue to push forward and try new things. So I, I literally bought the book, it, you know, brought it back to my hotel room, canceled my appointments for the next day and read it cover to cover. And, and it's been at my side ever since. So a great souvenir. And I've got a little story that uh, it's not exactly a souvenir, but I know that you've actually sat in Churchill's wartime chair. <laughs> That's a wonderful story. We've got a few few minutes left. Please, please share that one. Thank you, Michael. It's the best for last for sure. So now we're at about 20, uh, 2004, 2005. We were, my PR, for my PR business, we were representing a wonderful little hotel in Westminster called the St. Ermans, uh, which is steps from the Churchill um, war rooms uh, in Westminster. <clears throat> I've been a lifelong student of Churchill, have, have studied him as a, as a politician, as a historical figure, as a communicator. And uh, at the time, we were entertaining a reporter from the New York Times who was going to write a piece on the new uh, St. Ermans Hotel, got in touch with the executive at the Churchill War, War Rooms and arranged to bring the young woman over for a private tour, which would be available to the New York Times. They were interested in the publicity. <clears throat> we came over. I had been to the, the War Rooms a number of times, but if you've been in the War Rooms, you know that uh, all of the sort of important things, the original places where Churchill met and ate and his teams met are all behind glass and glass encasements, un unable to be touched by the public. In this instance, the executive took us around, uh, the three of us on a personal tour and said, well, you know, as an important writer for the New York Times, um, could we, would you like to go back into the conference room and sort of stand by the big map where uh, where Churchill made his decisions around the conference room table. And we said, well, of course, we'd love to. And I had explained to the gentleman my lifetime attraction to Churchill and, and as a student. Uh, so we went back in the room. He told us the story of how Churchill conducted his meetings there. And at the head of the table was a, was a big leather chair. Um, and I pointed to the chair and I said to the gentleman, is that is that where Churchill would sit? And he said, yeah, that's, that's the chair. And he looked at me and he said, would you like to sit in it? And I, I, there've been very few things, Michael, in my career that have really thrown me for a loop or set my hands trembling, but this was one of them. And, and as I approached the chair, 
and I'm sorry, there's no other way to say this, but Churchill would approve. Um, as I looked down onto the leather cover of the seat, I could see the imprint where Churchill's butt cheeks, you know, sort of had had made on the on the on the leather of the chair. And I just I very carefully approached, sat down, and sort of sat sat in the man's chair for for three or four seconds. It was. Uh, thank you for reminding me that it was a it was an amazing moment, uh, transformative, and um, as a result. Anytime I go back to uh, to London, Westminster is always on my is always a stop. So thank you for reminding me of that moment. It was a great one. My pleasure. And on that highlight, I just want to thank you. It's been an absolute delight having you on the show. Uh, once again, thank you for sharing your photographs and memories. Thank you, Michael. It's been great being here. Carry on. Photographs and Memories, sponsored by Atomize, produced by Haynes Marcons as a travel market life series. For more, visit travelmarket.life.